Good morning, church. If you're just joining us, my name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor here at Doxa Church. And today we are going to be finishing our Greater Love series. This series has been amazing. We have led all the way up to Easter. Uh, this series is about the most compelling love that the world has ever known, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We celebrated his resurrection last week, and one of the most immediate responses that you have to have from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is faith in him. And I hope you believe in Jesus, that you know Jesus today, because this message in Luke chapter 12 is another one of the responses to the death and resurrection, to the most compelling love, the greatest love we've ever seen. And that's what we're gonna be talking about in this passage today. So one of the interesting things about this story is that it wasn't something that Jesus waited to talk about until the very end of his earthly ministry. So far in this series, we have seen Jesus' teaching intensify. And as he got closer to the cross in Jerusalem, as he neared that final destination, um, he said a lot of very interesting things that he had never said before. But in Luke 12, there's a parallel passage, and it's in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6 is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And that is at the very, very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. So what Jesus is teaching right now in Luke 12 is something that he always taught from village to village. At the very beginning, all the way to the very end, he constantly reminded people of this truth. And it's something that you and I also need to be constantly reminded of. This compelling message about Jesus Christ's love is this, is this point. This is the response. There is nothing to worry about if you are pursuing God. There's nothing to worry about if you're pursuing God. Now, if you're not pursuing the kingdom of God, well, then you will have things to worry about and you actually should be worried. We're going to talk more about that later. But today we're talking about anxiety. And anxiety is something that we feel and we, we have when we are worried and we have fear. And in this passage, Jesus is saying anxiety is something that you can actually stop feeling. You don't have to have anxiety. And I know for some of you that may sound impossible. And for others, you've heard this so many times from pastors, from different spiritual people. And you're hearing this and you're just like, oh, here we go again. Like, it just isn't, it isn't realistic. I've heard people say that my whole life and this isn't realistic. Rest assured, this isn't a feel-good, self-help talk for simple minds. We are opening up the Word of God today. We're going to hear directly from the words of Jesus Christ. And He is going to show us why it's not okay to have anxiety, where anxiety comes from, and how you can live an anxiety-free life. So take your Bibles open it up to Luke chapter 12. I know no one likes anxiety and um, whenever you talk about it, it's in the negative sense, but even Christians have somehow, we found ourselves in this place where we've almost accepted anxiety just to be the norm. It's something that I just have to deal with. And it's not something that you have to deal with. You can live an anxiety-free life. And you don't even have to be one of those select few super Christians, which really isn't even a thing. People think that. But you can live your life without the feeling of anxiety. 
And now, right before we read verse 22, I want to just back up a second and say, um, anxiety is a feeling. So, David, how, how do you stop your feelings? Well, your feelings are an emotional reaction to what you believe, right? And if you have anxiety, those feelings are revealing what you believe to be true. So the feeling of anxiety comes from fear. And what is the belief that brings fear? That comes from a lack of faith. And you can write this down. As we talk about anxiety today, I want to give you a definition for it. Anxiety is emotional response from allowing fear to overshadow your faith. Now with all that said, I know you want to start living an anxiety-free life, even when you don't have a job, even when you don't know what's going on in the world around you. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing in this passage. So let's begin reading now in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? The first point today, number one, is live without anxiety. But you didn't see that coming, right? (laughs) It's a very simple point, but in these verses, Jesus is breaking down why we have anxiety. He's breaking it down like a crime documentary with an agenda on Netflix. And and there's four reasons that Jesus gives for why we actually do have anxiety in these these verses that I just read. And he's got this four-episode season for us. And unlike a 50-minute episode, Jesus is going to be quick. He's going to come in. He's going to paint the picture quickly and cleanly. So I hope you're ready for this because it's going to go fast. But the first reason why you don't have to have anxiety is life is more than food and clothing. That's verse 23. Life is so much more than that. Jesus is coming out swinging on this point because so many people do live their lives for what they eat and what they wear. And if that's ever been your life, that's ever been your lifestyle, and you were just about what you can touch and taste and feel, and life was about looking good and feeling healthy and eating the best foods and just having that comfortable American lifestyle, you know what I can guarantee accompanies that? It's anxiety. Those feelings of, of stress and worry always come hand in hand with that lifestyle. Of course, you may have a season here or there of bliss. You can go on a vacation. You can drink away anxiety for glimpses of relief that are quickly gone. But if you live for stuff, and that's your life, possessions and comfort, that's going to be a sad, unsatisfied, unsatisfying life. And even the richest and most famous people 
when they're honest about it, they will reveal that. They will admit to that. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, there's more to life than that. And I think we all would agree with that on paper, but it's one thing to agree with that psychologically and just on, in words, but not actually apply that truth and adapt that truth into your own life. So let me ask you this question. What are the actions of your life confirming that you really believe about possessions and about comfort? I hope that's an easy answer for you. I hope that your reactions and your actions confirm what you believe, that you don't worry about those things. But some of us have to be honest with that. We have to be honest with ourselves about that question. And in verse 24, that's where Jesus gives us the second reason that you don't need to be anxious about your life. And this point comes in the form of an illustration about why you don't need to worry about food. The second reason is consider how God provides for the birds and how you're more valuable than them. That's verse 24. Jesus is being emphatically rhetorical right here. Obviously, you're more valuable than the birds. Now, as a side note, in our twisted world, somehow people don't even really believe that people, human beings, are more valuable than animals anymore. Not, the surprisingly more people hold that than you would think. And this is completely a side note, but if you were to come across a person that believes that, what could you even say to that person? Well, I know nobody's really making this case about birds because birds aren't as high in the pecking order as uh, in the food chain as like a dog or a cat. People love their dogs and cats. I, I get that. But if somebody was to say, hey, a human life, it's no different than that life of that dog or that cat, what would you say? Well, humans are made in the image of God. We have a soul that will live forever for eternity. Animals are not made in the image of God. They're not. We are God's greatest treasure. We're the pinnacle of His creation. So you can share with them that truth. You're not devaluing human life to the fact that, hey, we're just a more fully involved animal. No, that's not true at all. We are living, breathing statues of the creator of this universe, and he has gifted us in ways that he hasn't gifted anything else. The sun, moon, and the stars, nothing else in creation, in nature that we enjoy, is the pinnacle as a human being. Now getting back off that trail and back to the main point at hand, God cares for you much more than he cares for the birds. You aren't just here to survive, to make the world go round, and to contribute into a peaceful environment. That's part of it for sure. But He has gifted you with a unique personality and skills to display His glory. That's His character, the truth of who He is. So if He's going to feed the ravens who don't plant food, don't harvest food, don't store food, you better believe He's not going to let you go hungry. He's going to provide for you. Now, Jesus has a deep hand here because if you look at verse 25 and 26, the third card he plays is this. Worry doesn't help anything. How about another reason not to do that? It doesn't help anything, all right? It only hurts you. Some translations here talk about adding a cubit to your statue, and it's all just making this point that worry isn't going to do anything for you. No amount of care or concern are going to add years to your life. It's just not going to happen. 
Now, this is another thing that Jesus says that's in contradiction to the way most people think. Uh, most people think you can add years to your life. And you can definitely add the quality to the years of your life, but there is nothing you can do to determine the outcome of the years that God has already allotted for you. You can, if you eat healthy, if you exercise, you do the right things, then you could probably have more fulfillment, more, more vibrancy in the years that you have. And you can actually take years off your life. You can lose that for sure with the decisions you make, but you can't add it to your life. You just can't do that. Now, I'm not saying that because of this, just go out and eat at the beacon twice a week. No, please, please don't do that. <laughs> don't take that from this. Um, it does matter. It does, it, does, it does matter what you do with your body and, and your health. And for sure, you need to take care of that by getting in good sleep rhythms, by putting yourself in community with people, getting outside, enjoying the sunshine and the fresh air. Those things are super good for your health. And as a matter of fact, I mean, this week I've done so much, so much reading about the coronavirus and the science behind it. And, in, and this isn't a time for me to be, put my scientist hat on and try to explain to you all the ins and outs of that. But there are so many doctors that have come out just in the last week or two and shown the effects of what being around people does for you. It's, it's great for you. And if you're living that hermit lifestyle where you're not around people, you're not in community, you're not getting sunlight, you're not getting fresh air, you are really hurting yourself mentally and physically. All right, and I think we all feel that right now to a certain extent. But worrying about something, stressing out the details, that doesn't do anything for you. So we have to cut that out. Concern yourself over what you can control. I mean, if you can't control it, let it go. Because you know who is in control of that? God himself is in control of that. Then with the final play in verse 27, Jesus gives us the fourth reason why you don't need to have anxiety. And this is with one more illustration about clothing. Consider how God clothes the grassy fields and how much more valuable you are than them. This is verse 27 and 28. Jesus is confirming right here um, that you could never outdress Solomon. Solomon was the man, all right? He, had, he was a king that had flair, he had pizzazz, but even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like the wildflowers that adorn the wild fields with color and with beauty. This is just another example of how God will provide. The wild fields of grasses are nothing compared to us. They don't have a soul. They don't have unique personalities. So if God clothes them with color and character, how much more will he clothe you? Look at the end of verse 28 with me. And we can see the root of anxiety again right there. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven... And that's how back then they just regulated their heat. They would just throw grass in the oven to, to turn the heat up. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. This is a faith issue. Anxiety is a result of fear overshadowing your faith. And you can't let that happen. So the way to stop feeling anxious is to have a deeper faith. That's what the Bible is telling us. 
And as we continue into verse 29, we're going to see that you can live without anxiety by living through faith for something different than the possessions and the comforts that everyone else is living for. So look at verse 29 with me. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Live without anxiety by living for the kingdom. And this is our second point. Seek the kingdom of God. Do you see how verse 30 points out that all the nations of the world seek after these things? Part of following Jesus means you don't follow the rest of the world anymore. You shouldn't want to do the same things that they are doing. And I like to think of it this way. Christians should be spiritual hipsters. And I realize that's a dated term we we might not all understand. So let me explain what I mean by that. It's not hipster to be hipster anymore. Because a true hipster, in true hipster fashions, don't want to do what everyone else wants to do. And as soon as being hipster was the in new thing to do, like four to five years ago, hipsters moved on to something else because they don't want to be what everyone else is being. And I realize this is like a dated cultural reference, but follow me here. True hipsters never self-identified as hipsters because they were against the flow. They were not about seeking the same things that everyone else was seeking. And this is how the word still lives on, okay? This this word still has meaning today, even though we don't see hipsters. If you want to be unique in your choice of beverage, and if everyone else is drinking their coffee a certain way, and it makes you not want to drink it that way, well, then you have a little hipster in you. If you want to listen to your music in a unique, archaic way that swims upstream from the mainstream. If you want to wear your jeans a certain way because you like to zig where everyone else is zagging, well then you have some hipster in you. And that's what the the vestige of this term means now. That's what is left. It just means you want to use something or you don't want to use something because everyone else is doing that. And if everyone else is doing that, you're too hipster for that song. You're too hipster for that show. But to be a spiritual hipster means you don't simply seek after the same things everyone else is seeking after. They're all going after food and drink. They're all going after possessions. They're all going after comfort. But you're not concerned about what everyone else is concerned about. And as a church, we have to go deeper than the sheep all around us who don't have a shepherd. That's what verses 30 and 31 are saying. Look at those verses again. All the nations seek after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. When God saves you out of the darkness of this world, this means that you were called to live a different life. You're not living for the same things as everyone else. Your father knows what the necessities are that you need, and he's got those covered. You don't need to worry about that because God has bigger fish for you to fry. He has better plan for you. And if you belong to God and you're in his kingdom, he has a plan and a purpose for your life, and that's to carry out his mission with joy and in peace. It's so much better than the rat race everyone else has. Our God, in contrast to the lifeless gods of this world, is your father. 
and He knows what you need. And He acts as a provider and a sustainer and a protector. All that you need is available to you from God. So you don't have to face the same anxiety that everyone else is facing. There is no place for anxiety when you realize you're in God's hands. He has you right where He needs you. And you don't need to stress about the things that everyone else is stressing about. The Father already has those in the bag for you. Now, we shouldn't look down at other people. Not at all. Look at verse 31. It gives us the key in how you tap into this. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Seek the kingdom. You aren't living for what the rest of the plebeians are living for out there. That doesn't mean we can look down at them. We would have been in the same exact place. We were in the same exact place if it was not for the grace of God. So we should look at them with love and compassion and share the truth with them, of course. But the point is, you should be living differently now. You and I are to live for the kingdom of God if we know Jesus Christ. This is a response to the greatest love. Now, kingdom of God, what exactly is that? Can we go over that again? Because <laughs> that phrase is all over scripture. You hear that a lot, but it's a little vague, is it not? And as a matter of fact, Luke uses this term over 30 times in his gospel and another seven times in the book of Acts, which is the other book that he wrote. And one of the things that I appreciate about Luke, I mean, I love that he's a historian, but one of the things I really appreciate about Luke is he is the chronological timeline guy. I mean, that's just a great, one of his great special contributions. And part of being the timeline guy means that he always has his eye on the end game. So he's talking about the kingdom of God more than anyone else. He speaks about it all throughout this book. He says that you should proclaim the kingdom of God. He says that in chapters 4, chapter 8, 9, and 16. He says you can enter into the kingdom of God in chapter 8, 18 and 22. Right here in verse 21, seek after the kingdom of God. And then he says the kingdom is essentially at hand. It belongs to the future. That's in chapter 10, chapter 17, chapter 21. He also says that it's spiritual in chapter 17 as he's talking to the disciples. But it's also seen as a material thing in the future. This is the reality of the new earth. And it's also seen in this chapter as God's gift to his children in verse 32, which is coming up in a minute. There's a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the ultimate reality that we should be living for. It's something spiritual that will become material in the new earth one day. Jesus is king. God is sovereign. Living for the kingdom means you share the gospel. Living for the kingdom means you don't live for the here and now. You live for eternity. What really matters? So instead of worrying about your bank account, instead of worrying about getting sick, instead of worrying about your food and worrying about your clothes, instead of focusing on all of that and seeking all those things that the world seeks and making those things the dominant enterprise of your life, future, comfort, health. That's all the world has. That's all they live for. Okay, that's all they have. And they can't have that without anxiety because they can't handle it all. Instead, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom, that's the answer. The focus of the Christian's life is to worship, to serve, to proclaim Christ, 
to live obediently to the Word of God, to pursue truth and holiness, to pursue other people with compassion and love, just like our Savior pursued us, that's living for the kingdom. Colossians 3 verse 1 says it this way, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you see the kingdom vibes in that verse? This is something that is so much better to live for. And the verb seek here in the original Greek, Luke 12, 31, this verb, epizetio, and I, I probably just butchered the pronunciation on that. You've got to always cut me slack whenever I'm pronouncing these Greek words. But it's a very intense verb, and it means to strongly strive for. That's what we're to seek after. In a strong, striving pursuit, the kingdom of God. And when you are doing that, your focus is on the kingdom, the anxieties of this world fade away. They just don't matter. We were made for His glory. We were made to show His glory as living, breathing statues that are made in His image to bring attention to the truth of who He is, His character, to proclaim the gospel, and to live out through the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ. As long as we do that, is that and that's what we're seeking, we will be equipped by God. We will be sustained by Him and He will provide all of our needs. The Bible says that you should save, that you should work hard, that you should be a good steward. So make wise investments, do all of that. But in the end, it's got to point back to His eternal kingdom and not our little kingdom that we've created for ourselves. Because our little kingdoms are not going to last. They're just not. It would be very difficult to exaggerate the significance of this passage. It just would. I don't know how I could exaggerate this. This is so crucial. This is so earth-shatteringly different. If this changes the direction of your life. And it changes the way you feel. changes the way you think. And it removes anxiety. If you don't know Jesus, you have anxiety. But if you seek the kingdom, you don't have to have anxiety. Believers should differ in their inner yearnings. We must set our hearts on different things. We must pursue different ideals. And we must be motivated by a different love. Because we seek a different kingdom. So what do the actions and the reactions of your life say about what you're living for? What gets you stirred up? What do your decisions on how you spend your time, your energy, and your money say about what you're truly seeking. Have you ever thought about the difference between being a participant in sports, being a player on the field, and just being a fan? You know, if you're a fan and you're just taking in the game, you got your popcorn, you have your beverage, depending on how invested you are, you're gonna, you're gonna be thrilled, you're gonna enjoy that. If they lose, you're gonna be disappointed. But you don't have near the same pressure that the player in the field has. All right? It's way bigger of a deal for them. And when we think about this in the sense of the kingdom of God, it's not all on us. It's not our kingdom. We are a participant. We are representing God. We're more like the fan. And as a matter of fact, we know who's going to win the game. The victory is settled. Jesus already won. He conquered sin and death. We cannot lose. 
So if you own a business, there's more pressure on you than if you're just an employee. If you write a book, there's more pressure on you than the person who's writing the review of the book or the person who's writing the forward. We have to realize we're not building our kingdom. We are living for an eternal kingdom of God and we are all together contributing to that kingdom. There's so much less pressure. And with that less pressure means we don't have to have anxiety. We are supposed to be building God's kingdom together. And when we realize that, so much of the worry and the fear is replaced by faith. If you live for the kingdom, you can live without anxiety because you don't have anything to fear. There's literally no pressure when it's not all on you building your thing. And that's where we get our third point. Point number three is lay up treasure in eternity. Look at verse 32 with me. Fear not, there it is again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The third point, lay up treasure for eternity. Do you see how the anxious feelings disappear when faith overshadows your fear? First of all, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What an amazing thought that is. I love giving gifts to my kids. I love, I love doing that with them. That's the way our Father feels. I mean, we've had this quarantine going on and we've had way more family meals than we've ever had before. So we have a good healthy meal. And then it's so fun for my kids, Beckham, Paxton, and Monroe, to give them a little ice cream. We get out there on the trampoline. I love giving good gifts and doing fun things with them. It's my good pleasure. Our Heavenly Father takes joy in giving you and I good gifts. He loves that. So with that in mind, don't hoard up unnecessary possessions. What does this passage say? It says sell them. Diversify that, in, that investment into someone else. See, when you and I give to the needy, we are showing the glory of God by meeting needs. That's something that He does for us. You are giving yourself a money bag that will not grow old. This isn't your average wallet that grows old and gets tattered over a few years of use and you throw it away. We're not talking about temporary investments. Shiny new toys that you buy that are really expensive, they last for a few years and then they turn into junk. That's the way this world works. And then you got to get the next thing and then there's pressure to perform and get the next thing and anxiety kicks in. But providing water to someone who is thirsty, providing a means to pull someone out of poverty, that's a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. That's something that somebody can never take away from you. It's never going to grow old or fade away. You know, starting this church, Doxa Church, so many of you have given, have sacrificed to make this church a reality. That's something that no one can ever take away from you. You have invested into something for eternity that is changing lives, that will change lives from years to come. That's incredible. 
This is why Jesus said you can live without anxiety. If you are seeking after His kingdom and laying up treasure in eternity, your faith will overshadow all these temporary fears of this world. Anxiety is not okay because it is a lack of faith. That's the reason why Jesus says, you owe you of little faith. You don't need that. Anxiety is an emotional reaction to seeking everything else but the kingdom of God. Verse 34 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? What are you seeking after? What does your anxiety or your lack thereof say about what you're seeking? It reveals how much faith you are living in for God's kingdom. That's what it reveals. Or it reveals how much anxiety you have about your little temporal kingdom. So let's get personal and let's get specific today. At the very beginning of this series, we were in Luke 9, three chapters ago. And the Samaritans, they lived for their cause. And their cause didn't line up with Jesus. The next person Jesus encountered on the path sought after comfort. And they chose that over Jesus. The next one valued security. Later on in this series, we saw Martha. And Martha was very troubled and anxious about many things. That's what Jesus said to her. She was pointing fingers at other people. They were, they were keeping her from doing what she needed to do and they weren't meeting her expectations. What she was pursuing was stressing her out. It was getting all the details done and working hard and being a perfectionist. That was her little kingdom. Do you have anxiety? Every one of us will be tempted with anxiety from time to time. We're all going to face that. And it's not a sin to be tempted. A sin is if you act upon that temptation. When you are feeling that way, it should be an internal siren that goes off. It makes you analyze, how does this fit into the big picture? The end game of the kingdom of God. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's the way Jesus quoted it in Matthew 6. If all your problems are going to be taken care of, and if God is going to fulfill His promise to you, provide for you food and clothing, which He will, He's going to give good gifts to you. He's not going to let you go hungry. He's not going to let you be, your life be ruined. He has a plan for your life. So if all that is true, what do you have left to fear? Oh, you of little faith. Now, if you aren't pursuing God, and if you're running the other way, well then, yes. Anxiety is around the corner. And the fact that you aren't running with God is something to worry about because you're going to be on your own. He's the one who leads us beside the still waters. He's the one who makes us lie down in green pastures. He restores your soul. He leads in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And if you're not seeking Him, you're missing all of that. His way is fulfilling and satisfying. Your way, apart from His, 
is missing something? Is there something that's in the way of you pursuing the kingdom of God? Are there some adjustments that you need to make? Let's pray about that right now. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your death for our sins. You walked to Jerusalem. You finished your mission. You paid the price of our sin penalty. And for that, we thank you for your love. There's nothing more compelling than that. And then you conquered sin and death. You rose again. We celebrated that last week, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if someone that is watching this right now does not believe that, will you convict them right now? Show them their need to live for you and not live for themselves. Allow them to give victory over their anxiety-filled life or their life that has anxiety coming right up, the, right up the alley. Save them, Lord. May they confess their sin, repent, and believe in you today. For all of us who do know you, may we now respond to this love in a way that we live by faith and not by fear. May we eradicate all vestiges of anxiety in our life by seeking the kingdom, your eternal kingdom, and laying up treasures there and being on mission for you instead of trying to do the same things that everyone else around us is doing that doesn't know you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us the ability to live without fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.